Hi everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a show dedicated to young believers pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. You know, we live in a world where getting married and starting a family is far too often postponed for longer than God designed and pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things. But the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As young believers, we have the choice to prioritize what matters most in our lives every day and to live face to face with God and others. Every Thursday and Sunday on this show, I'll be sharing research conducting interviews and reviewing articles on the importance of marriage and family for society. I'll also be releasing exclusive content such as spoken word poetry, allegorical short stories, and bonus episodes for subscribers. Friends, God did not set us up to live life alone. The truth of the matter is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you're not spending with your life partner. While some might be content to live with the consequences of this arrangement, I would argue that those who wish to spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so. It is my deepest hope that this podcast inspires Generation Z to pursue marriage, become the best spouses and parents the world has ever seen, serve with furious intentionality, love well, and discover the joy of hanging the moon for another. To access my sources, subscribe to the show, or get your copy of my latest book, visit anchor.fm slash seth-hensley, or check out the show notes of each episode. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 127 of the Restoring Rapport podcast. This is a podcast about keeping marriage and family as central goals for young believers and prioritizing relationships in a world of many distractions. And today I've got an article for you guys to review live. Um, Lane is unable to join me today, so I'll be doing this one solo. This article was sent to us by a listener, and it is the perspective of a retired licensed marriage and family therapist on the woman at the well that we read about in scripture her name the author's name is mary ortwine and today we're going to be reading her reflections on the story of the woman at the well i'm really excited to get into this uh, firstly because it's a story of jesus and any story of jesus on the show is something that i do want to read because i believe jesus is the prime role model for what a husband and father should be as well as just the prime role model for any role that you have in the world. He is God. He is obviously what we are uh, striving to become, not become, uh, striving to be like, to be Christ-like. So I think this is going to be a good article on that front, but I also think it's going to be a good article because it is written by a a retired licensed marriage and family therapist. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop right into it. She says, who is this woman at the well? We think of her as a woman of ill repute, and there is a basis for that. She is at the well at noon, next, not early morning, perhaps to avoid the other women who might judge or shun her. She's had five husbands and is living with a sixth to whom she is not married. We think of that in 21st century terms, but this was a different era. Women didn't get divorced in those days. Men divorced them. In a small village there sure, where surely her reputation and character were well known, how did a woman get five men to marry her, and how come the sixth one did not? There must have been something phenomenally enticing about her, and yet something else that caused men to quote-unquote throw her back, ending the relationship. But what must it have been to be like her? To live in a small village that had five husbands, and have had five husbands, to be living with a sixth man, to come to the well in the heat of the day, how lonely she might have been, how hurt, or was she simply one of those very alive artist types who cared less for convention, who loved and laughed through every minute? Those details are open to interpretation. We don't know from the story. Um, so, I, first, a couple of things that stand out to me. First of all, I like how she's acknowledging that um, scripture is read um, and understood via 
personal interpretation. You cannot look at a passage completely objective. You are not, there is no such thing as an unbiased individual. There is no such thing as a person who can read scripture without their own personal experience also affecting what they hear. And I like how she acknowledged that. And she also acknowledged that you don't know. Scripture does not tell you several things about the story. Um, so we do not have, uh, you know, a, an exact historical representation there. We don't have an exact historical account of what happened there. So I like how she's acknowledging that. I also like how she is acknowledging that women did not get divorced back then. Women did not initiate divorce. They did not have the right to initiate divorce, and they were seen as people who, uh, very much like property, they, they could not initiate a divorce with her with a husband. The husband had to be the one to divorce the wife. You know, if she wanted a divorce, maybe she could propose it to him, but in the end, it's, it's his choice, not hers. Um, whereas today, we have uh, women initiating, you know, a good, I think it's two-thirds of divorces are initiated by women, which is not to say that, you know, women are, uh, you know, giving up on marriage quicker than men, it's really just to say that um, that 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 area is over and done. Women now initiate more divorces than men do. Um, and again, that's not dissing women. You know, many of those women are probably in very terrible situations, abuse, um, neglect, um, even, you know, infidelity are all things that women probably initiate divorce for. So guys, I'm not saying, I'm not pointing a finger at one gender or the other here. I really am very careful to, um, you know, we're very against divorce on the show. I don't think that's a good thing. I think there are, you know, ma massive repercussions for that, um, particularly on children, but also on yourself, also on the individuals that tore their, their, their vows. So I like that she's acknowledging that um, back then women could not divorce. So the five women that left her, left her, you know, she did not leave them. I think that's an important distinction that I hope she, um, acknowledges throughout the story. So in some sense, the fact that she'd had that many marriages, um, you know, it was not solely her, her fault because I'm sure she was not the perfect spouse. I'm sure there are reasons she was divorced, but you know, in the end guys, they left <laughs> her spouses left her spouses, uh, you know, left her, you know, a, a marriage was not carried out, not because of her, but because of the men she married in the end. So it says, we do know some other things from John's gospel, though. We know that she was willing to talk to Jesus once he talked to her. We know that she was not intimidated by him. We know that she thought for herself. And we know that she gradually entered into a very intimate dialogue with God, one that transformed her life, her reputation, and her, and her place in the world. And who was Jesus that day? God, of course, we know that. But the woman didn't know that. Did she fully know that? He's not expressing it in John 4 like he expressed it in John 14. Jesus was fully human too. From a human perspective, so that's interesting. She's suggesting that maybe the woman at the well did not even know, you know, initially that she was talking to God. And he doesn't express his his himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God, in John 4, like he does in John 14, she says, Jesus was fully human too. From a human perspective, the arrest of John the Baptist and his growing struggles with the Pharisees created some complications for his pro proclamation of repent and believe in the gospel. So he had to cross Samaria. That day might have, that might have been why Jesus was in Samaria. He figured no self-respecting Pharisee would follow him there, and he could have a couple of days to think about and handle them before facing them in Galilee. Or maybe... Ha or it may have been that Jesus deliberately chose to go through Samaria because he was already deliberately proclaiming religion was no longer a matter of where you worshiped or how. There are lines in the story to support that. The day is coming when you will worship in spirit and in truth. It may have been that Jesus simply saw no reason to walk longer. It may that Jesus simply saw no reason to walk longer rather than straighter. Um, it's something that shocks me a little bit. I'm just surprised to read this in the opinion of the article. It says here that 
Um, she said that Jesus proclaimed religion was no longer a matter of where you worshipped or how, and yet this lady is Catholic. And in my experience, Catholics are very uh, precise and, and and picky about what an actual mass or gathering or assembly or ecclesia or church service, whatever you want to call it, is. I think they're very usually, not usually, this is usually, um, you know, I'm, I know actually quite a few Catholic people more than your average Protestant knows, and I wouldn't consider my Protestant self a Protestant either, but more than your average person knows. I know more Catholics than your average person knows, and most of them seem to have a very specific definition of what a liturgical, liturgical service should look like. And they don't believe that any other version of that is actually a valid assembly. Um, and here she says, this is the opinion of a Catholic author, and she's saying that Jesus deliberately proclaimed religion was no longer a matter of where you worshipped or how. In other words, she's suggesting there that it doesn't matter if you worship in a Catholic service or how you worship, which, again, liturgy and tradition is very important to Catholics. Um, so that really surprises me that she's saying that, and I could be misunderstanding her there too, but I'm just shocked because she is a Catholic author, I think, because this is a uh, this was something that was done for Lent, the third week of Lent, I think. Um, but she says, there are lines in the story that support that the day is coming when you will worship it in spirit and in truth, and it may have been that Jesus simply saw no reason to walk longer rather than straighter. Or it could have been that God the Father or God the Spirit heard the prayers of a longing woman at the well and set up the transformative meeting. That is the, actually the version, the narrative that I would actually imagine was true. Now, there might have been a double motive there. You know, Jesus could have been avoiding the Pharisees. He could have been simply not walking longer than he had to, or this is the narrative that I actually think is true. He could have been going to that area because he knew that there was somebody who uh, needed him and who was ripe for transformation and renewal and redeeming. You know, that's what I think he went there for. I think Jesus stoops to the individual need. Hi guys, this is just a quick reminder that you can use the link in the show notes to send me a voice message with a comment or a question. I think he was doing, you know, again, he was starting a movement. He was cha changing up the way things were done. So he had to impact people on a, on a massive scale. But I think he went to that specific location because he knew there was one person uh, who needed assistance, who needed help, who needed him to step in and change her life, really. And from that, the result of that was she went back and what? She tells the whole town, right? She tells the man, come and meet the man who's told me everything I've ever done. That was what she went back and told, told everybody, if I remember correctly. So... I think that the, I think that there was Providence had a double plan there. I think that Providence was accomplishing a grand scale shift, a grand scale transformation of a geographical region through that a, tr a small transformed life. And guys, this is a lesson that I want us to know about in our daily lives. You do not have to impact the nations through grand scale ministry and through ministry to the masses, through large scale, um, you know, service. That is not the only way to impact the nations. You can impact the nations. You can create grand scale change. You can spread the gospel in a exponentially growing way simply by starting with one person. And I would argue that's how it's done best because really ministry happens best when it's in the context of a relationship. The more you know somebody, the more you are capable of impacting them. The more you, the more you understand about a person's life, the more you are able to meet the needs that they have and be what Jesus would be to that person. If you don't really know people, you're relying solely on your ability to hear the Holy Spirit correctly in order to minister correctly, you know? And I'm, I'm all about listening to the Holy Spirit and being attentive to what he's saying. But I also think that you can go about ministry smart. 
And the way to go about ministry smart is by ministering to those who God has placed in close proximity to your heart. Ministering to those primarily, foremostly, uh, ministering to those primarily and foremostly who God has placed close to your life, geographically, emotionally, uh, oftentimes, you know, somebody that's in your, in your, often your circles. Those are the people that I would say you're going to have the potential to impact the most on in a ministry and service perspective. So again, I think God is demonstrating that point to us here. He's going for the one person. He's not going for the masses right away. He did not walk straight into town and start preaching from the, from the curb. That's not how he. That's not how he approached this. He changed one life through a conversation that did not have a time uh, boundary on it. He just sat down and talked with her. He wasn't on a schedule. He wasn't on a. He wasn't in a rush. He just simply stops his day, sits down. It was. It, you know, there were there were. He sat down to satisfy a basic human need that he couldn't escape, which is thirst. Right. He sat down at the well, and he took that opportunity. He took the opportunity. You guys, you all have to drink. You all have to eat. That's something that every human has in common. So naturally, when you meet somebody there in that setting, you're going to have something in common, and it's going to be easy to um, enter a conversation with them because you're both doing, you, you have common purpose. You're both there for the same reason, and that's because you're both human. Um, so I like how he's done this. He sits down. He finds a space where, um, you know, everybody can relate to, to water, to needing water. So he sits down at the well. It's somewhere, it's a place that draws people, that it, it requires people to be there. You know, you can't live without the water, so people are going to naturally go there. So he picks this spot, and he goes there at a time of day where many people aren't there. Uh, but he knows that he's God, obviously. He knows there's going to be one person there who needs to be transformed. So he stops, and he, and he engages with her in a way that totally changes her life. And I, the main thing I want you to take away from this is he did not go into town. He stops for the one person. He stopped for the one person. Guys, do not be afraid of ministering to one person. That's what marriage is. You know, marriage is the biggest, closest, most intimate relationship we can have on this earth. You know, that's your prime, prime outlet for service right there. I mean, it is right in front of you, right in front of you, right for the taking. I mean, I would encourage you, take time for the one person. Don't be so focused on outward ministry that you lose sight of the one person in front of you. For example, if I focused on the show solely and, st- and and solely and completely instead of serving Lainey, then I would not be a good boyfriend right now, you know, uh, I, because I'd be too focused on serving the masses and not focused enough on serving what was right in front of me, especially the relationships that are most valuable to me. So that's what I love about this story. And Jesus is not afraid to do that. And from that, I want you guys to notice the nations are impacted. The large scale geographical region is impacted because she goes back to sit- the city and impacts the, the city itself. Okay, so moving on, it says, Jesus was there first. He begins the dialogue. I thirst, he says. Oh, no, he didn't say that. That was a later on the cross right before he died. He says, give me a drink. There's a difference. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not at all. The woman is not impressed or demure. What? Why are you talking to me, she says, in effect. Do men who talk to her usually want something? Is she surprised anyone would talk to her? Or is she just surprised that Jesus, obviously Jewish and not from there, would address her? We don't know. And we don't. We do know she takes the lead in an empathetic way. She reads between the lines and figures Jesus has some agenda, some reason for talking to her other than getting a drink of water. Interesting. Jesus reads between the lines too. He reads her heart and goes a little deeper. If you only knew who I am, you'd ask me for a drink. I have living water. The woman who is not intimidated, but now she is very curious and skeptical. You have no bucket, so how do you get living water, she retorts. Retorts, are you greater than our father Jacob? We read the story within 
without the nonverbals. It was not customary in, the, in those days for women to make eye contact with strange men, but somehow I think she did then. And Jesus is definitely looking into her. There's a long silence. Hi guys, I want to take a quick break and tell you about an opportunity that you guys have as listeners to become subscribers of this podcast. Now in order to become a sub, all you have to do is follow the subscribe link in the show notes found in the description of each episode. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusive material, including additional interviews, all of my spoken word poetry pieces, all of my dramatized allegorical short stories, and even more of my article readings, okay? So lots of content will be available to you that won't be available to anyone else. Subscribing to the show only costs $5 a month, which is less than most people spend on their lunch at work every day, okay? So you won't even notice it disappearing from your bank account. If you enjoy listening to the show and you're looking for an opportunity to financially support the content you care about, this is your chance, okay? Follow the link in the show notes to become a sub. Thank you so much for choosing this show to listen to and now without further ado let's get back to the episode then jesus says whoever drinks this water will get thirsty again but anyone who drinks the water i shall give will never be thirsty again and the water i shall give will turn into a spring inside him welling up to eternal life shall give that's future tense jesus isn't ready to give it to her yet he goes deeper into her heart go and call your husband jesus says she answers i have no husband Jesus is pleased with her honesty and trust. He goes for the core, the most vulnerable place. Isn't that that's so true, though, guys? Imagine, just imagine the situation. Jesus here has just met this woman. He has just met this woman. Pleasantry is totally skipped. There is no pleasantry between Jew and Samaritan, first of all. So first of all, he's he's being a social taboo, a, a man, for engaging in this conversation. First of all, because it's with a woman. And they're alone. Secondly, because it's with it's between a Jew and a Samaritan, right? That that that's not something that um, <laughs> was was done. And and thirdly, after even after all those, he engages with her without pleasantry, and he cuts straight to the issue that is most troublesome in her life and heart. Guys, I mean that's amazing. Within just a couple of exchanges, he has gone from "I'm thirsty" to suddenly he is asking. Go call, go and call your husband. He's God. He knows exactly that she is not married to the sixth man she's living with right now. He is cutting straight to the root issue here. Straight to the root issue. Uh, it's just amazing to me his ability to do that without like creating a situation that drives people away. It's very difficult to do that, guys. Do you imagine how, imagine how difficult it would be to walk up at a, you know, at a restaurant, for example. And, you know, it's empty. You meet somebody in line and, you know, you say, uh, I'm, will you hand me that thing or whatever that will you give me a drink here or will you uh, pass the cup to me this way? And, uh, you know, you start the conversation that way. And imagine just when, within a few words getting to the root issue of somebody's life and ministering to that. I mean, that's unbelievable. That just does not happen much. That that blows me away. That is supernatural uh, skill and, and wisdom. And that's just the Holy Spirit all over that. I mean, that's the only way he could successfully do that. He says, go and call your husband, which he's clearly getting at the root issue of her life there. She says, I have no husband. Jesus is pleased with her honesty and trust. He goes for the core of the most vulnerable place. You are right to say, I have no husband. For although you've had five, the one you have now is not your husband. You spoke the truth there. So right away he's 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 letting her know that he, there's something not normal about him that he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's just ministering straight through the Holy Spirit here. I mean, he is just in full-fledged uh, miraculous ministry mode. She said she doesn't flinch. 
She says, I see you are a prophet, sir. She attempts to divert that arrow of truth which is in her heart by changing the subject. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain while you say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. Jesus doesn't flinch either. He takes her bait and lays it aside. Where one worship is not where one worships is not what this is about. Again, a shocking state from, statement from a Catholic author and, and, and a, an, an author who no doubt condones sacred spaces as the appropriate place for church meetings. Uh, you know, as a house churcher, I do not believe in sacred space as the appropriate place for church meetings. I believe that those should occur from house to house anywhere. I don't care if they occur in a church building or not. That's a wonderful place to do it, especially because you can, you know, it's accommodating. You can hold a lot of people, but I don't think that they're the only correct way to uh, conduct a church service and it's shocking to me that she's so this catholic author is so clearly saying that there is where one worships is not what it is about she's very clearly saying that Move, moving on it says after noting the disagreement jesus says but the hour will come in fact it is already here when true worshipers will fall will worship the father in spirit and in truth that is the kind of worship where the father wants jesus now goes deeper past the woman's impertinence past her complicated most likely sinful life and sees the gold in her spirit and truth how deep is the woman at the well? Deep enough that when Jesus says worship in spirit and truth, she gets it. She understands, which is more than can be said for his disciples, Nicodemus, and the learned Pharisees. So here she's talking about what this author is saying, that this woman must have been either spiritually intelligent, spiritually mature, or had simply the eyes to see what Jesus described. Which is a lot more than you know many of the people in the in the in his era did. His ministry down his most profound revelation goes not to the masses but to one person. The first time he ever says he is the Messiah in the Gospel of John, I should say, is to one person, a woman at the well. That's absolutely beautiful, guys. I mean, there's something very freeing about the fact that you do not have to do grand scale ministry to impact the world. It is done in the smallest, most unlikely of places. That is the family and that is the home, right? That is the marriage. That is your relationship with your child. That's your relationship with your small, small group, your small community. That's your relationship with your family. You know, those are the things that you can do for them that impact the world, guys. I mean, I think we too often get caught up in ambition and personal dreams of grandeur and changing the world for the better that we forget to minister to the person right in front of us. That's that's what I've mostly gotten from this article so far. Jesus' willingness to minister to the person in front of him, to stop what he's doing, to stop his mission of the day, whatever his objective was. If, if the woman at the well was not his objective, to stop his objective and minister to the woman at the well. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think that's something we need to learn as modern-day Christians obsessed with grand-scale ministry. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode today. I'm actually going to break this into two articles and review the next part in the next episode. Be sure to catch that on the next episode that comes out. Thank you guys so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the content in this episode, reach out and let me know what you thought of it. Through the link in the show notes, you can send me a personalized audio voice message in your own voice. It makes the podcasting system two-way, and it makes me feel super connected to you as one of my audience members. You can also follow the Restoring Report podcast, Landon and myself, on social media, Instagram, and Facebook, if you're interested in the content we post there as well. Thank you guys so much much for listening today and we will talk to you next time.